Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Meta. I'm your host, Jay Larson, and joining me this, this week uh, is the, I would say, triumphant return, but this is your first time on the podcast, but it is a triumphant return to uh, Privateer Press. So, Charles Foster III, hello, how are you? Great, thanks for having me. You betcha. Uh, so, Charles, can you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? I am Charles Foster III, CF3PO, or all the different nicknames I've picked up over the years at random conventions and hanging out with all the people in the community. Uh, I like painting, playing a bunch of War Machine. Uh, I've been playing War Machine since the very end of the first edition, uh, getting slammed by Vlad II, as everybody remembers. And then, um, yeah, I've been doing it since then. So I, I teased this a little bit in your intro, but uh, you previously worked at Privateer Press and then how many, how many years was it that you uh, were were away from working with them? Uh, I started working for Privateer in early, early, uh, like February of 2013, and then I stayed with the company until nearly the end of 2015, uh, so right, real close to around three years. And then um, uh, I went to Valve for a couple years, Nintendo for a couple years, and then Biotech for the last three and a half, uh, and then I was trying to take a break from it all. I was just working myself to death. And out of nowhere, I got a call from Matt and he was like, Hey, uh, what are you doing right now? And I, oh, literally nothing. My wife has told me that I need to take a break before I can take another job because it was working too much. And he was like, well, we were thinking about some, the times when, you know, projects were really kind of moving and grooving and we figured we, it's time to go get another project manager. Uh, what are your thoughts about coming back to us? And so this past October, I got really excited. I was like, man, I do kind of miss working in games and working on cool stuff. And man, I miss work machine and hordes. And now Riot Quest is pretty sweet. Yeah, you know what? Let, let's let's do it. I'm going for it. And so I decided to head back to the company and start working on cool stuff again. Uh, I'm I'm excited that I'm I'm sure uh, you as, as project manager you won't have um, you know a lot of things on your plate. You should have a a, a perfect work-life balance. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, uh, we, Lessons I mean, learned, right? <laughs> pro- project managers typically have a, a ton of things coming across their desk, depending yeah. on... They're kind of like two philosophies to a project manager. A project manager can be a person who is focused on one project from start to finish, making sure that it's ushered across from concept to a thing you're holding in your hands to... Uh, project managers can handle the breadth of a company. Like, hey... This is gonna, I'm going to take all of the War Machine projects, and I'm going to take all of the Warcaster projects and all the Riot Quest projects. So for me, I actually do a little bit of everything. So I get to dip my toes into the IK RPG, I get to dip into Warcaster, Riot Quest, War Machine, uh, you name it. Uh, the cool part is I get to see a lot of cool stuff. The downside to it is, man, I do some I do some work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this that leads into uh, I, I have a few some listener questions for you, and then I'll have some myself. Um, but the first question is from Dragon Pup. Uh, he says, "Hi, Charles. Welcome back to the Privateer Fold. Uh, can you walk us through what a day in the life at Privateer Press looks like for you?" Uh, I think that a lot of people have typical days. I don't think that I do. Uh, I usually start off. Uh, trying to follow up on any messages, emails, and comments from our Kickstarter pages. They're typically the things that require the most attention. And, I mean, this can be as simple as, like, 
uh, hey, the post office drop kicked my fulfillment and stuff is damaged. Can you send replacements? And then it can get kind of as complicated as, hey, I'm in Sweden and they're refusing to let my packets through customs. Can you help? Uh, needless to say, my Swedish is about as good as the chef from the Muppets, but, you know, we'll make invoices and make documentation and get it through. We'll call the consulate, send emails, and do everything we can to get it through. So it can be a little bit of something simple to, oh my gosh, uh, now I'm dealing with international customs. Uh, then I'll uh, take a few minutes, go through various projects and products in different stages and kind of review them. Um, for instance, uh, the Shadow of the Secret Miniatures uh, coming out with the Borderlands and Beyond Kickstarter very soon. We should start shipment here probably within the next few weeks, depending on when this drops. Um, and then uh, they're going to be in a new type of plastic, so making sure that the models look good, making sure that they're up to the quality we expect, and then coordinating the shipping and getting it sent all around the world. Uh, once a week, I'll try and take a little bit of time to put together an insider, uh, take some take some time, paint something, photos, write it up, and doing that'll that'll eat a fair bit of time. Uh, and then I'll spend some time poking uh, Matt and just saying like, "Hey, here's some stuff. We're getting closer to the launching on this thing. We need you know various art. We need uh, check in with the sculptor. We need a uh, finalize colors on, on packaging, whatever it may be. Uh, then I'll, you know, walk around the office, I'll drool on some models that haven't been sent out to the public yet, and then I'll, of course, spend some time cleaning those models. Uh, I'll generate some invoices, making sure that, like, various uh, project management software gets updated, uh, try to keep an eye on anything that I can, and then, really, I mean, uh, I've worked at some pretty cool companies, and I've been kind of built into what I call the T-shaped employee where you have like that core vertical peer, which is like your core skill set, which of course is project management and administration. And then like anything that my skills can translate to laterally, I just kind of help out wherever I can. So one of the things you're, you're fairly well known for in the community is your uh, hobby skills. Like you mentioned, you do some insider posts. Um, so we've got a few questions related to that as well. Um, sure. The, the, the first one though from, uh, next one from Dragon Pup, he says, uh, who are your favorite characters from a lore perspective and a tabletop perspective? Hmm. Uh, tabletop, that's easy. I can 100% harbinger of Menoth. Mm -hmm. Uh, I walked into a game store back in late 2005, 2006, probably. Uh, right before they started doing the open play test for Mark II. Uh, and I happened to see, sit down at the table, was playing Magic with some friends, and uh, I looked over and there was a product catalog for Privateer Press. I'd never heard of Privateer Press at the time, and I picked it up and I started looking through it. I'm like, these models are really sweet. And I hit the protectorate of Menoth page, and I was like, what is this? It was the Harbinger Menoth. I was like, is this a game? Can I buy this and play this? Like, how do I play this? Uh, and then our press ganger for the game happened to be in the store at the time. Jason Huber pulled me aside and was like, Oh, I'll give you a demo real quick. And I was like, this is like magic the gathering in a tabletop game. I want to play this. Like, how do I get this? And our store owner was like, Oh, you just talk to me. I'll order it. And then two days later, I had this massive pile of protector to Menoth and the harbinger of Menoth was sitting on my paint desk. 
being dremeled into poorly by me until I got somebody to help me because I I was when everybody starts off in tabletop games you're really bad at working on miniatures uh, and the harbinger couldn't have been the most huh? difficult thing in the world and I was like I'm gonna put this together if I glue my fingers together so be it I'm gonna make it happen uh, but eventually my buddy uh, Josh took pity on me and he was like let me see that and showed me how to dremel something without a trip to the hospital. Um, Lore-wise, though, that's kind of difficult. I really, really like the Iron King setting. Um, I'm a sucker for pirates, I think, in general. Uh, I have a history degree in Japanese history, but it's actually focused on Asian pirates, so I would probably say almost anything to do with the Broken Coast, but specifically Shea or Bartolo Montador. Uh, they seem to show up in ports with a lot of swagger, and I, li- I like their stories. All right, so the next question from Dragon Puppy says, going forward, is Privateer going to continue with two-ish week Kickstarter format or move into this quote-unquote standard 30-day format? Um, for the most part, we'll probably stick around with the two-ish week one. Um, there's a bunch of data that gets published every so often, and one of the most successful rates for Kickstarters is actually the 14-day two-week mm-hmm. uh, Kickstarter and then followed with a longer repledge or rebacking period. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I mean, really, when you think about it, it's kind of like, um, kind of like Christmas or something, really. Cause like when you're about, when you start singing, like, hey, it's the 12 days of Christmas, you know, it's like two weeks out, you start really getting excited. There's a lot of hype going on. So when a Kickstarter kicks off for two weeks, I mean, everybody is like, oh man, look at all this cool stuff and look at all the stretch goals. And, but when you start hitting that like third week, fourth week, it really starts to, like kind of like drag on and people don't get as excited or people kind of wander away from it. And I think that like when it gets too long, it's one of those things where like, all right, well this was cool, but I want to go do other cool stuff. Let's, let's, let's go do other stuff. So uh, I don't know, but the uh, 14 days, like it really is what people get excited about. So we're, I think we'll probably stick with that for now. Yeah. There's a, a few projects I've been following where they, they did the 30 day format and it honestly felt, almost antiquated at this point um they they tended to you know they'll they'll have their big spike at the start and then have like this just plateau that feels like it's three weeks of nothing happening and then hopefully at the end it has another big spike so i I totally agree because like when back in the for those that have been around forever when kickstarter kind of like popped up for the first time it was um you know 30 days it was a kickstarter originally started off to help those smaller companies get their funding essentially so they needed long windows of getting lots of marketing and getting lots of people to get eyes on the project because you know even back when kickstarter was first going i don't think facebook was really a thing outside of uh i think you still had to be part of like colleges like you were restricted not everybody could just sign up and get a facebook so when you were talking about advertising back in the day and getting something like a, a miniatures game going, you really needed that large window. But now people are like, all right, I want to consume content as fast as possible and absorb what I'm working on. I want to hear what I'm talking about, and then I want to get excited about it and then move on to the next thing, right? So I think the 14-day window just leaves that perfect kind of chef's kiss of, like, here's the project. Let's get really excited about it. Here's all the cool stretch goals. Everybody's all focused on it. And then... Now let's get it made, right? All right, so uh, next question from Dragon Puppy says, uh, are you going to continue to post alternative paint schemes for models like the Riot Quest party you did? Those are pretty cool. Oh, uh, 
absolutely. Uh, I think it's, um, I try and do one a week. Uh, I'm not sure when you plan on posting this one, but if it goes up this week, I have a poison dart flugwug the filter that I've, I just did. And then, um, next week is, I'm going to try and do a back to the future painted style, uh, wolf with no name. My goal is to ultimately do every single model from the Riot Quest line in an alternate paint scheme. So I I fully plan to go forward. I've done my pests already, and I mean we're a good. Uh, I've painted twelve or fourteen models of the line so far. Still got a ways to go, but we're, I'm I'm not going to stop until it's done. I've got some cool ideas. Uh, follow up question from Dragon Puppy says: Will this lead to an eventual return to privateer streams, painting or otherwise? Um, ultimately, I mean, we're always open to uh, everything, right? Uh, the, the biggest problem is that when the pandemic hit, a lot of the companies started working remotely. Anything that didn't need to be done from the office, Matt and Sherry, the owners of the company, were like, you, everybody go home, stay healthy, stay away, uh, focus on yourself, make sure that everything's getting taken care of. Um, I love chatting it up on Discord and hanging out with people while I'm painting. Uh, sadly, though, I don't have the streaming setup like we do at the office. Uh, so what I really need to do is I'll poke uh, Matt, John Swinkles, and a couple of the guys in the office and see, you know, hey, is this something we want to go back to? I know that every Friday uh, we typically partner up with somebody who's painting and we share a feed with them and we'll sit in the chat and talk with people and just enjoy some cool stuff. Like uh, I think Duck Studio Painting was the one we did last Friday. So, I mean, always check those out. We post them on our Twitter and our Facebook. So come hang out with us and watch other people paint. But I will have to uh, I'll have to poke Matt and be like, hey, people are, want us to hang out and paint. I'm always for uh, sticking a paintbrush in my mouth and uh, putting paint across models. All right. So our next set of questions are from BCCB. Okay. Uh, f- first one is, what's the single best trick you can share to improve one's painting? Uh, try everything. Um, I used to think that, you know, all these models were so cool looking. They're beyond me. There's no way that I could paint like that. These painters are professionals with art degrees and talent and all. I've got some free time and hanging out with some friends. And honestly, with my attitude when I originally got there and the lack of effort I was putting into it, uh, that would have been right. And I never would have gotten anywhere near what I could paint now. Uh, failing a whole bunch of times over and over again allowed me to explore new tricks, new methods, and now I'm just kind of never afraid to sit down, fail, start over, and keep trying. Uh, my, I think if I had to say what my best single trick is, I have a giant jug of Simple Clean, which comes in a purple jug from like an automotive store, uh, and it can strip a model in 30 minutes. So uh, I'm not afraid to, you know, start over every so often. But I mean, like, there are so many different painting methods that are out there, so many different paint lines. You've got, you know, airbrushes, glazes, washes, contrast paints. Uh, different color primers, uh, floral paints, two brush blending, wet blending, dry brushing. Uh, there's just so many different techniques. You gotta kind of try them all and turn on, see what works for you. Uh, find, find something like, uh, your paint station when, wherever you're working at. Like I turn on music or I'll turn on a, a movie or a TV show. Something that makes me really excited to be at my paint desk and just kind of listen too while I'm working through stuff and then like every time I get excited to paint I'm like not only am I painting I've got something positive kind of like pseudo there to reinforce that so like uh my big guilty pleasure is the West Wing and right now I'm in the middle of a rewatch through the whole 
the whole show. So I guess those are my, my tips and tricks. <laughs> All right. Um, next question from BCCB. He says, let's talk Troll Bloods Tartans. Uh, what's the best way to make sure they look realistic? Oh, man. Uh, I cheat on this every time. Uh, there is an amazing paint guide for Tartans back in the Mark Tool Trollblood book. I know it's on page 101, um, and the reason I know that is because I open it every time I do a Tartan. Um, the other thing I like to do is I'll pull up a uh, reference image of the colors I'm using on Google. I'll just Google Tartan, you know, blue, green, red, white, yellow, whatever, whatever colors I'm trying to do in it. Uh, and there's always a billion guides on... Uh, or not guides, but reference photos you can reference. Um, and then I think the, in terms of like getting the colors, I think, man, back in the day, Matt DiPietro was probably the first professional painter I met who gave me the best advice. He said something along the lines of like, always start with darker colors and work your way up to lighter ones. Um, worst case scenario, if you mess up, it is way easier to cover a lighter mistake with a darker paint. All right. Uh, so, next question from BCCB. Um, he says, are all future releases from Privateer Press going the route of Kickstarter? Um, not all. I mean, it's going to ultimately depend on what it is and how large the scope will be. Um, a really good example is the uh, Nightmare Empire, the next IKRPG, is definitely going to use it. Um, however, projects like Orgoth may not. There are for sure advantages and disadvantages to using Kickstarter. One of the greatest things that like Kickstarter gives us is just kind of a lot of logistics and data. Uh, Kickstarter provides us with real time information. We see a lot of number of backers, uh, player data, locations of players worldwide. Uh, we can put in stretch goals that allow us to see if someone's interested in particular features, special variants. I mean, it, it can be a huge tool for companies with smaller resources. Uh, but ultimately, there are, there are downsides to it as well. Um, it makes the projects go a lot slower than we like. Um, we're bound by the restrictions of the software. Uh, a huge limitation right now that faces us when we use a Kickstarter is what's called VAT, which is the variable added tax from the EU and UK. The software is not actually built to handle it. Um, and VAT gets, is a, a tax that's put on all goods and services going in and out of the UK, EU and UK right now. Um, some things have exemptions. Books, for instance, don't get charged to all countries. And each country, I should point out, has a different VAT rate for each item. Um, and it can range anywhere from you know 0% for a book to 23% for you know, models and miniatures. Um, and there's no way for the program to handle individual SKU tax rates and individual tax rates for country codes. And it becomes this huge process uh, where... At the end of every Kickstarter, I have to go in and do a manual adjustment for all backers in those countries. I think Borderlands and Beyond was the last one we did it for, and I think I did something like 30,000 manual adjustments. It took about three weeks at 60-hour weeks. It was a it's a pretty intensive time project, uh, and that's just because there's a huge limitation of what Kickstarter can do at that point. So it'll, it'll just depend on the project. All right, so next question from BCCB, he says... Uh, can you describe the process of running a Kickstarter project from Privateer Press's point of view? <laughs> that is a, a super loaded uh, big question. Uh, let's see here. Um, if I was to simplify it, it would be something like uh, the 
first thing we do is start off with the concept of the project. <coughs> Excuse me. Then we do concept art, get the writers started on work. Um, if it's a game, start the playtest cycles. Then sculptors are contacted about models. Uh, there's the first round of proofing, review, and reworks. Uh, we start building the Kickstarter site, review the Kickstarter, get it approved by Matt, then submit it to the Kickstarter company. You have to have it approved before you can launch. Excuse me. Um, then there is a um, another proofing review, reworks, resculpts, working on the project itself. We start marketing, launch a Kickstarter, reach funding, hopefully, uh, close the Kickstarter, launch late pledges, pledge manager, uh, pledge manager sites, uh, calculate VAT, VAT manual adjustments. Then we get into proofing and reviews for a couple months, probably three to ten or more if necessary for review cycles. Uh, set up manufacturing on the paper products, physical rewards, boxes, uh, get the design and artwork completed. Internal manufacturing will start, close, charge cards, send out notifications, approve manufactured items, coordinate shipping companies and freight forwarders, upload the digital rewards, pick and pack all the physical rewards, and then uh, ship out fulfillment. So I'd say, I mean, that's a, that's an extremely simple version of them. Uh, and I'd say that it, all those processes can, some of them can even be done simultaneously, but all in all, probably eight to 14 months, give or take. Uh, but it's also impacted by anything that's unforeseen, like, uh, port closures, pandemics, trucker strikes, uh, issues in the country of manufacturing. I mean, you name it, there's a ton of things that can impact a Kickstarter's timeline. All right. A couple more questions from Dragon Pup. The first one he says, as the project manager, what are some short, medium, and long-term projects you're working on that you can share with us? Uh, sure. Uh, I would say that some projects are a little bit more fluid than others, and things can change. Um, for instance, we decided not to do the Kickstarter for the IKRPG, or uh, the RightQuest board game. When we decided not to do that, we wanted to go back and reapproach it at a different time. And when we did, we're like, well, we need to, we need to get pets out because people are excited about this, so that turned into a kind of a, a short-term project. We should see that launching here pretty quick, I want to say in the next couple months. Um, sometime maybe around August would be my guess, but uh, that's, you know, give or take when whatever other projects are going on at the same time. Uh, projects can definitely move, too. Uh, when you're working on something, you can run into an undetermined issue or uh, the the medium that the uh, the product was supposed to go in can change. So something that was in plastic can go to resin and metal, which will shorten the timeline. And something that was in plastic or resin and metal can or uh, resin or metal can get shifted to plastic. So it'll, it'll lengthen the timeline. So uh, a medium one, I would say probably the Iron Kingdom's Nightmare Empire because it's coming up real soon and we're in that near middle stage. Uh, long term, um, I would say probably Orgoth, uh, but not in terms of like how far out it is, but just in terms of long, how long it's been worked on, how long it, how long I've been involved with it. Um, longer than that, though, there are uh, a ton of stuff that's in in the hopper, and we've got a ton of uh, pulls in the fire getting stoked. 
but I, I think I'd, I'd probably let Matt Wilson spoil those goodies. All right. Um, then this is the final listener question. Um, he says, uh, what's your personal favorite? Warcaster, Warlock, Mon Pop Monster, Riot Quest Hero, Warcaster Faction, and IK RPG player option. Uh, well, Warcaster, that's easy. Harbinger of Menoth, it got me into the game. Uh, Warlock, this is kind of a, a tough one, but I'd probably say uh, either Lilith 2 or Gristle 2. Um, just because I've died so many times to those casters in games that I've, I've formed some of my best friendships around games played with those casters. Um, Monpok, um, Master of Zotal, I pretty much am obsessed with everything in the first Guardians and Ancient Ones. Those models are just sweet. Uh, Riot Quest, uh, either Forsa- uh, Fjord the Forsaken or Leadfoot and Treads, uh, because of my paint schemes. So- selfless plug there. Um, Warcaster Faction, Retribution of Syra, easily that. I think I've painted uh, three full factions over the years and that in uh, uh the first one i had was a red tribution which was back in 2009 2010 somewhere in there uh got to play it at daikon gencon adepticon it was this bright red with blue uh and then i gave that to a buddy when i moved out to privateer because i just didn't have room to take it with me um, I painted up a blue and green schemed retribution that I donated to a charity probably a year after I left privateer. Um, and then the most recent one, I did a Tron scheme, which is my personal favorite. And if you're ever at a convention, I, I try and pull that out as often as possible. Now it's got so many cool conversions and stuff on it. The arcanists have been converted to Daft Punk from Tron legacy. My Rinsler has been, uh, or my Gareth one has been converted into a Rensler. It has light discs and it has the helmet from the movies. Uh, one of our internal, uh, sculptors back in the day, uh, Nate Scott, he, uh, did this incredible conversion on all three of those models. And it's like this pride and joy that I have to put on the table as often as I can. And then IKP, IKRPG player, uh, option. Um, man, this is, this is a little bit more of a, uh, a tough one. Oh, you know what? No, this, this is actually super easy. Uh, I've been having a ton of fun playing in the Blood Gorger subclass, uh, but you're going to have to wait until Nightmare Empire releases to check that out on your own. Um, I would say that if you're out there and you're enjoying the IK RPG and you haven't done so, definitely go over to the website, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we're definitely going to have a pretty big announcement for the Nightmare Empire coming up pretty soon. All right, so I've got a, a, a few quick questions for you from myself. Uh, okay. First one is, uh, what would you say is the project you're you're managing that you uh, find most exciting right now? Uh, Orgoth. <laughs> I can't wait to get my hands on these models. They're absolutely so sweet looking. Um, it's also one of those, it's a bit intimidating because Eric Swenson did such an incredible paint job on them that I'm like, I don't know what I, I don't know how I'm going to paint my army, but I, I like doing the alternate schemes. I like doing the, the variants. So I'm not, I'm not even sure how to even look at them and start painting them, but the, they've been incredibly fun to do playtesting on. They've been incredibly fun to do work on. I can't wait to get these things on the table. 
Um, and what would you say is the part of your job that you get the, I guess, most enjoyment or, or sense of satisfaction from? Um, just seeing everybody enjoy everything. I don't, I don't think it would be like a project in particular. Like there's, um, when you go to a convention, you run into everybody and everyone's so excited to just enjoy the stuff you're working on. That's probably the coolest thing in the world. When you see somebody get legitimately just excited or they come up to you at a convention, and they're like, I can't believe you guys did this. This is crazy. Like, um, I can't even think of a good example right now. Cause there's been so many times in the, in recent and in the past where people have just been so excited to enjoy something we've done. And I think that that is probably the ultimate, like, high you can get while working in a game company is just legitimately seeing somebody enjoy something you're working on. All right. Well, I, I guess my final question, uh, is there anything that, that we didn't ask that you uh, would like to talk about or, or share with us? Um, I don't think I have anything off the top of my head. There's always, there's all kinds of stuff always going on. Um, I think I would, I, I, if I could take a second, I'd like to just thank everybody who backed the Iron Kingdom's uh, Requiem Kickstarter for their patience for a pandemic, shipping issues, and all kinds of crazy stuff that happened during COVID that were way beyond our control. I know that they were waiting quite a long time, and then we had a manufacturing issue we were unaware of until the product actually shipped out to everybody. And everybody's patience just in getting their stuff to them and being able to still enjoy it. Like, special thank you to all those guys. And then, of course, a huge thank you to everybody who's out there playing and enjoying all of our stuff. I can't wait to run into people at conventions, play some more games. Definitely hit me up for Riot Quest. And uh, I'm always taking cool ideas and uh, uh, suggestions for how to paint miniatures from the Riot Quest line. There's still so many of them. So if, you, if you're out there and you've got something cool, feel free to email me at charles at privateerpress.com or you know just shoot me a message and or post something on like a facebook group or something just like hey here's a cool idea for you know uh princess dolores or whatever it may be i'm, I'm always open for cool ideas all right well I, I guess we will go ahead and wrap it up there um charles i want to thank you very much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule i know the uh, listeners are always excited to uh, get to hear from some of the privateer press staff, get to uh, get to know them a little bit better. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully I'll come back on soon and have more cool stuff to share with you guys. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And as always, thank you to listeners. You guys are awesome. Um, check out the, the Patreon for bonus episodes when we uh, interview the community guests. Uh, and check out discountgamesinc.com for your gaming needs. Thanks, Jay. Thank you.